ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode 386 of Hand of Pod. It's a coincidence that the number of this episode ends in 86, the year Diego Maradona put in the most dominant performance at a World Cup since at least 1962, and perhaps ever. You all know the story already, so we're not going to simply go over his career by the numbers this week. But this episode is going to be dedicated to the player who, indirectly, gave us a title for our podcast and gave all of us as football fans so much more besides. We're recording this episode in the middle of three days of national mourning declared yesterday by the president, only the fifth time in Argentine history that a period of national mourning has been declared. Maradona's body lay in state at the Casa Rosada, the presidential office building, during Thursday and is being moved to the cemetery uh, with a wrong turn along the way, as we record. How does a kid from the slums who had a talent for kicking a ball about get that kind of honour? How does a kid from the slums who had a talent for kicking a ball about end up being mourned on front pages, not just of sports sections, but of the actual newspaper all over the world? As a person, he was a divisive figure, and we'll try not to ignore that today. But when we mourn any public figure, we don't really mourn the person. And we don't quite mourn their legend either. We mourn what they were to us, how they touched our lives. And for a podcast like this, that's important to remember. Because Diego Maradona, for richer and poorer, in sickness and in health, was married to Argentine football. He was Argentine football. The thing about Maradona which unites Argentines and fans everywhere, I think, no matter which club they support, and even when they don't support a club at all, isn't really that he won the World Cup for Argentina on that roasting hot afternoon in Mexico City, and it isn't really how he did it. It's that all of us would like the world to be a meritocracy. We'd like it if it really was just a case of do what you're good at and there'll be a place for you. But we all know that for kids born in slums like Bicha Fiorito, in countries like Argentina and regions like Latin America, that simply isn't the case, at least not anywhere near frequently enough. Maradona gave us that dream of a meritocracy, of a world where a baby can be born into unimaginable poverty, can find a talent which gives them a route out, and can go on to bestride the world like a colossus. That, for me, is why for all his personal faults, it isn't hard at all to separate the person from their art. As with many things to do with football, Eduardo Galeano said it best. He called Maradona the most human of the gods, and then he wrote... The gods don't retire, however human they are. He never could return to the anonymous multitude he'd come from. Fame, which saved him from misery, made him a prisoner. And now, Diego Maradona is no longer a prisoner. In this episode, we'll try to do his footballing legacy justice. And on that note, joining me this week are English Dan. Hello and welcome. Tony. Hello, everybody. Andres. Hello, welcome. Santiago Bausa, star of international television. <laughs> Hi. Hi there. And Seba Garcia. What's left of me, anyway? Mm. Hi, how are you? It's been emotional for um, everybody, most of all for the Argentines among us. Uh, does anybody want to, to kick off with some first thoughts? Um... If I may, um, being the oldest, I guess, uh, <laughs> I just wanted to start by saying thank you, thank you, thank you from 
the bottom of my heart, Sam, for these beautiful words. I think you you just summed it up, um, and that is the difficult thing to do. Um, but you put into words um, a lot of what really uh, means, what Diego really means. Um, I wanted to start on that, and, and I wanted to uh, apologize in advance because I'm, I, I know I'm going to cry uh, while we record this. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's something that I can avoid. So um, I wanted to start with that. And it's really, really great to be back after all these years. Yeah, it's been too long. It's a shame it took this to get you back on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you know, uh, I make <laughs> make a more regular comeback without tragedy being involved. I really want to. It's just, you know, busy life, kids, work, <laughs> and everything else. So um, hopefully I can make it a, a more stable participation. Hmm. Um, we are going to be dedicating the whole of this episode uh, to Diego. Our normal football review is going to be moved to Hand of Pod Extra on Patreon. If you want to get on there, of course, then you can go to patreon.com slash handofpod. Uh, we will be back with normal service next week. I'm sure everybody understands why this is happening, because let's face it, if you're listening, then you don't particularly uh, care about what's been happening over the last week, probably in, on the pitch. Um, one thing that I do note, however, is that Gimnasia, at least officially, are going to have to find themselves a new manager. Um, we will touch on Maradona's post-playing career a little bit later on. Um, I'm trying to work out who's going to be able to remember his playing career. Seba and Andres, I'm guessing, are going to be the only two uh, who can remember significant chunks of yeah. it. I think that I can remember the last year at Boca, and I was really little, so it's scattered memories mm. out of everything. Andres, as, as a River fan... A uh, fan of the club against whom Maradona scored a number of his most famous goals, at least from where we're sitting here in Argentina. Uh, how do you feel? I'm sure there are going to be a few listeners who are wondering about whether the rivalry is affecting people's reactions to this news. No, I, I feel quite similar to Sebas. Uh, I don't find any any. Uh, kind of, uh, I mean, uh, I I can feel I can say, oh, what a pity he was a Boca player, uh, but then that's the only feeling I have. Uh, uh, for for I mean, for sorry. Then it's all uh, in one hand. It's uh, I I think the world is a bit worse today, but in the other, when I when you watch the goals and and all the joy that uh, he let us have, uh, it is. Everything changes, and it's a mix between sadness and happiness. Uh, but I, I uh, there was a photo I think that went viral yesterday with a, a supporter of River uh, being hugged by two Boca supporters, and I think that's the the feeling and that's the the picture we all wanted. Perhaps not Diego didn't have to die to have that picture, but it was like that, uh, and I, I think it's similar to, to what, this, what happened in, uh, in other places where Maradona uh, was celebrated uh, because I think, I, 
I agree that uh, it's not a morn that we will have to uh, prepare, but celebrating him. Uh, and uh, what he did with the national team uh, is uh, bigger than everything. And, I, and of course, I, I suffer uh, him being a, a, a Boca supporter and also Boca, uh, what he did at Boca, but uh, and when he went, went to Boca from Argentina Juniors, it was said that he had an offer from River, bigger offer, and he preferred Boca. Well, uh, uh, of course, it's something uh, I, re I regret, but uh, it's not anger, but only regret. Uh, uh, so it's, it's difficult, but at the same time, trying to, to, to put in words the feelings, which is, I think, uh, really, really difficult. Yeah, I think um, I think Diego transcended that. I mean, I mean, for a long, long time now, we obviously Boca fans have a um, a closer uh, relationship with him, and you can call him his own. Uh, obviously, there's nothing to there's, no one can take that away from them. But at, at the same time, Boca fans cannot take away to the rest of clubs, uh, fans, and supporters that they also consider Diego to be their own. Uh, it's one of those things. He's nobody's and he's everybody's at the same time. And and it's it's a beauty to see because we, we live in a country that is built on antagonism. And, and you can't think of Argentina without the infightings and without the two sides of a, of, of a coin. But Diego is is the coin with no sides. I mean, it's I, I don't know if that's even a thing, but it's coming to me in, in that way. Um, and yeah, I remember I w I'm lucky enough um, to remember almost all all of his career. I don't remember the early days. I don't remember seeing him play for Argentinos, um, or even before he went to Barcelona. I don't think maybe I was at a at a game because I was always going to the stadium aged three or four, but I don't I don't have vivid memories uh, memories of that. My first memory of him is uh, Spain '82. I was five, but I but I remember I remember being impressed by his hair. That was probably one of his most gorgeous looks ever, um, and I, I and I remember '86 perfectly to I mean to, to the every detail what I was uh, watching the games with uh, and the people I was watching the games with um, going out on the streets to celebrate there was not a lot to celebrate those days um, for us so yeah I remember uh, I think I, I can consider myself being really really lucky to remember most of his career I also um, have to read, sorry, uh, I, I no, also have, okay. had to read, for example, I didn't know that he had hepatitis when he, yeah. was, when he moved to Barcelona. And so he had health problems too early, uh, not only after uh, leaving football. So there are things I, I even didn't remember and had to, and, and reading about his career, I, I found out that and, and it was surprising also to me. Mm -hmm. um, what I wanted to add is, um, that uh, well, the thing about the, the river uh, situation uh, or how uh, that might uh, 
not make the sentiment as strong, but you can look at what happened in Brazil yesterday with um, Internacional, uh, when it was about to, at the time that it was supposed to play against Boca, that their homage was painting the stadium in, in uh, light blue and white. In a, I mean, a Brazilian stadium light up in the Argentinian flag colors. And that's how powerful was Maradona in that sense. Even thinking that uh, the most fierce rivalry the, the Inter has is, is Gremio, that's pretty similar colors. Um, when you're thinking like that, it's it's like, like Seba said, like he, he, what he gave us in terms of, of enjoyment of football, of uh, talent in a, in a football pitch, uh, transcend any kind of rivalries or or um, divisions uh, besides countries or the club you support or, or anything like that. Yeah, well, you, have, you have the English uh, national team Twitter account uh, uh, saying goodbye to Diego even when they suffered the, <laughs> that kind of goal, goal and the most beautiful goal in, in World Cups. Uh, the show, those goals, uh, both goals suffered by them and then, uh, uh, but yesterday they, they cho- chose to, to, to to say goodbye to, to him uh, because you, certain things you must uh, uh, take aside to, to when someone like him dies uh, and, and they did it and it's I think is is valuable. Yeah, I was going to say uh, I went down uh, last night to um, a gathering that a lot of um, a lot of fans had once the once the news started to break at the Obelisco and and of course the impact of everyone there kind of crying, but also embracing, chanting, kind of making it a celebration as well as a mourning that, that struck me very, very strongly. I thought, you know, it's a, it's a perfect way, you know, aside from the, the whole coronavirus um, issue, which is problematic. It's kind of the perfect way to, to send off a guy who was a popular hero in Argentina. But, but aside from that, what most struck me was just, the the sheer variety of of shirts on on display. I saw guys from Boca, obviously from Argentinos, loads of Argentina shirts, but also tons of River shirts, shirts from uh, Huracan, shirts from Talleres Central, um, just uh, from abroad. Uh, I don't know Flamengo shirts, um, Peñarol shirts, just everyone together and and I managed to talk to um, to one guy I found who was um was wearing a river shirt and he said you know at the start when I was when I was coming down here I'd, I cried for like two hours um when I first heard the news and I knew I had to um to come down to the Obelisco to pay my respects and and I thought about wearing the, the river shirt I doubted for a second but then I thought no I mean Diego yeah, he's football he's Argentina so uh, of course, I'm going to wear this shirt, and and that's probably the best way I can I can pay my respects to him because he was a guy who, aside from you know his club loyalties and and the old Barbie through he threw rivers rivers way he he belonged to everyone in in Argentine football I think and that was the sensation I got time and again talking to guys who were at this uh, celebration and and also today I couldn't get down to the Casa Rosada to see um, to see his wake. Uh, but I get the feeling it was a very, very similar kind of atmosphere. Um, personally, I remember Diego, probably the first memory, very faint memory I have is from uh, 94, the World Cup, 
uh, was seven and just starting to get into football. I was at that age where you just start to devour everything that has to do with football. You, had, you know, I had yearbooks, I had watched everything on video, you know, just kind of compiling whatever information I could, um, you know, within the means that I could in those pre-internet days and kind of watching the games, you know, England weren't involved in that World Cup. So, so I watched, you know, Ireland, Italy, Cameroon against Russia, United States against God knows who, whatever game was on and which I could watch, you know, without going past my bedtime. And you kind of, you, and you got this image of this deranged number 10, you know, screaming into a camera after, um, after scoring against Greece, I believe it was. And it's like, holy shit, who's this guy? And, and then learning that the same guy had been, had been taken out, you know, from the newspaper, learning from the newspapers uh, because he failed a doping test and not really understanding what the hell a doping test is, you know, when you're that age. Um, so that was kind of the first, first experience. And then um, obviously as I got older, reading up on him, seeing back his, seeing him back in his golden years and, and taking in all that, you, you get to understand this wasn't just another guy. He was, you know, hugely important in the, in the history of football. And, and then, of course, how can you forget the, the 2010 World Cup, which, which I covered, you know, as, a, as an Argentina correspondent and just watching kind of the unravelling of this crazy anarchic experiment that was going on in the Argentina team um, this centrifugal force that, that just revolved around Diego, who you could see, you know, he had no idea of tactics. He just picked who he wanted, you know, based on a hunch or based on a dream he'd had the, the night before. Or, but it all, you felt like it could almost come together because he was just this magnetic personality who, you know, you only needed to be near him and, and you received its full force. And, and you walk through a brick wall for him, and and despite you know all of the problems he had and that team had, it it was just kind of spellbinding to watch. And and since then, you know, we had him coming back in the uh, last year for Gimnasia. We saw all of his what now feels kind of a lot more poignant for me. This kind of farewell tour through all the different Argentine stadiums. I think that that almost takes on new meaning now. Um, considering what's happened this week. Um, and you just get the feeling, even not having grown up in Argentina or, or coming here at a later age, I was, you know, in my early 20s, just you can understand why people feel so strongly about this guy and, and why today the grief is so strong and just so genuine. Well, I, I want to resonate a little bit on what Dan said because uh, I'm not as, as Maradoniano as probably Sebaris or, or Andres is, um, because honestly, yesterday I was uh, trying to drift off uh, any any sentiment of sadness uh, for many, many hours, but it kind of hit me later in the same way that, that Dan uh, felt or, or started getting about knowing about Maradona, probably because we're, we shared mostly the same age. Um, when When you're growing up, or your your kid trying to kick a ball, uh, basically the first thought that you have is trying to be like you. It's uh, trying to be as good. Obviously, that 
don't happen. But <laughs> you, you, you dream of that. It, it paves the way to, to you dreaming that you can make it because he could, even, even if the circumstances that, that he has as, as, a, uh, have a, as a kid, um, he, was, he was able to make it. And, and that's, that's the way I think it resonates the most with me. Uh, not only about his brilliance in the page, because that's, that's beyond any doubt, but also that's the way I think the history and the legend of Diego uh, connects with most of my generation here in Argentina that without thinking too much into anything that he did outside the pitch, uh, you grow thinking uh, when you're a kid that you, you want to be like Diego and, and you try to be like Diego. And surely the next generation and Santi can, can attest, uh, it, it kind of replicates. Um, but... And then, then obviously, I, I got moments more, growing more sad during the day, and, and it really hit me later. But um, yeah, I think that that's that's interesting. How even then, it's really far away. Uh, we kind of find the same way of knowing about about Maradona and uh, and appreciate and, and and cherish the guy. Something. Yeah. Um... It's weird in a way because, um, well, I think it's fair to say that um, I am surely the least uh, acquainted person in this podcast with Maradona, perhaps. Um, if I had to probably like pinpoint a moment in which I, I became, I first knew about him, I think I was like six. Or seven, and um, I think my my mom bought a poster for me with um, well one of his uh, iconic images of uh, the hand of God um, jumping, uh, out jumping. In fact, Peter Shelton with the legend Dios underneath, and I was I was about seven or eight years old, and I was like wondering, what the hell is this guy doing? Why, why is his why is he jumping uh, to handle the ball? Why what did what did it do that um, did 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 it get caught or something? It's uh, it was like hard to, to to understand that someone would be possible. It would be possible for someone to do that and then in the very same game score the goal that um, would cement him in in history as that um, would cement him in history as well the, the scorer the author of uh, the best goal in the history of uh, of World Cups. But uh, as uh, years went by, um, to be honest, my relationship with Maradona was um, mostly pretty negative because um, I, of course, I, I don't think I have seen Maradona at his best. Perhaps I maybe just became mostly known in my mind for the, the showball games and uh, his stint as uh, Argentina coach. Um, so I didn't quite get to know Maradona as the cultural phenomenon, Maradona as the footballer, Maradona as the instant um, element of joy that uh, he brought so many people during, to, during the, the 80s and the 90s. I think that that's something I began to understand later. Um, in, in my life, maybe in my teenage or more recent years. Um, and it's 
And it came as a shock to me because even if um, me and my generation in broad terms um, are removed from his pomp, are removed from his, uh, um, the time in which he shone and the time in which um, he, he was most relevant and he was uh, the best player in the world, this pain of uh, the pain of his loss um, has, hasn't been felt any lesser by my generation. They are as, as distraught and devastated and uh, saddened by, by his departure as, as you guys, as the people who actually got to live with it. And that, I think, speaks um, not only of Diego's enduring and, uh, well, eternal, let's say, appeal to just um, get into people's heads, but in, in, a, in such a pleasant way, in such a, such a joyful way, but also the ability of, of previous generations to pass that memory on towards us. Uh, and I think maybe a, a quote that I really loved um, about this topic, I think that was, that was pretty relevant, um, Juan Pablo Varsky, uh, in his, uh, well, in a, in a, in a monologue, he, he spoke, uh, on the radio. He, he said on the radio, quoted, um, a phrase from Jose Mourinho, which he said during, uh, Bobby Robson documentary, which is on Netflix. It's brilliant. He said that the moment in which a person really dies, is when the last person who ever loved him died. And after seeing the, the sheer outpour of love, of unadulterated, pure, joyful love from people of all ages, of all backgrounds, of all countries, you know, not, not just uh, sports people, sports fans, you could see like musicians, uh, film directors, uh, models, actors just um outpouring all kinds of all, all kinds of tributes all kinds of love so it gives me the feeling that uh maradona just as uh, varsky said will live forever because the the knowledge and the the experiences and the joy will be kept passed on like legends uh like the legends we've been telling kids for generations and for centuries that's the level Maradona has reached, and he reached it in only 60 years of life. Yeah, I think uh, Santi's absolutely right about, um, about his impact. impact. I think that's interesting, kind of saying how he's not from a generation who enjoyed or even came close to enjoying uh, Maradona at his peak, but the, the news still hit very hard. And what I've seen, you know, I've spoken to, um, to people from around the world uh, since this news broke, and and the feelings the same everywhere, kind of just disbelief. Like how how could this happen? Um, I even felt a little bit of this uh, this morning. I was working, as I said, all day yesterday, um, writing articles, interviewing people, kind of talking, probably twelve straight hours or writing about Maradona's death. And uh, you know, when I finally got to bed, I woke up and and for a moment it didn't feel real. It's like did all of that actually happen? Or is this just some sort of elaborate 
plot or something I've made in my head. I mean, can Maradona really be dead? Uh, I mean, what's football if, if Maradona's dead? He's such a, such a huge part of it. And, and I was kind of talking to um, kind of some colleagues of mine in, in sports journalism and, and we felt that probably the only uh, sporting figure up till today at least um, to kind of come close to this kind of disbelief, this kind of universal recognition is uh, Muhammad Ali, the, the boxer, of course, who, who again, you know, like Maradona, uh, he had his detractors. I mean, the guy went to jail um, and he was vilified back in the United States uh, right at his prime for, for his political beliefs and, and for his convictions. I mean, this never happened to Diego, but, but he's been, as Sam said in his fantastic, by the way, I didn't mention uh, monologue. He's been a divisive figure, but I feel like right you know, at this moment of truth, like with Muhammad Ali, um, people have come together apart from you know, a very small minority of, let's just say it, straight morons who have, who have taken the opportunity to get a couple of low blows in and, and talk ill of the dead, I feel like. It really has been something that that's brought the country together and the world of football together, which which really doesn't happen very often. And I don't think there is another figure in in the history of world football that that could do that apart from Maradona. Yeah, I really like what you said about uh, the fact that we couldn't quite uh, make up our minds about the fact that he he could leave us. He could he could just one day. Be gone from be gone from our lives, and I think it, we wouldn't be blamed to believe that because he had been there before, in the sense that we had become accustomed also to the fact that Maradona had been cheating death. I think for for some time now, he had some very very close encounters with it. I think in two thousand two thousand and four, and we were just accustomed. I think to for him to just miraculously survive and live another day and it also kind of um, fed the the fed the the legend of his um, immortality in a way not just uh, in a in a figurative sense but also in, in a in a little bit more literal sense but uh, but yeah it's it's a general feeling that um, we probably could see this happen we Probably we haven't. We have spoken uh, in this podcast for a while that we, um, when we saw Diego publicly, he was clearly not okay. He was uh, suffering from very serious uh, physical, I think, I think physical conditions. Uh, after he had a blood, uh, he had got been operated for a blood clot on his brain, but we were just never ready. To, to face the, the day in which uh, he would be gone. And especially this soon, at only 60 years old, it's, I mean, even if, even if this could be a possibility, if this was uh, something that could have been contemplated, you know, it's, it's never hard, it's never easy, sorry, to, to just accept it. It's, when the day comes, you're you're just never ready for it. Uh, it's it, you're just left speechless, stiff. 
Yes, so so many. I have so many things to say. I don't even know where where to start. Um, you guys just raised so many uh, strong points. Um, I'm thinking about uh, Muhammad Ali and the comparisons. Um, to me, Ali has been, um, in my opinion, the, the most influential athlete of all time. I mean, not not just for what he did in uh, within the realms of of his sports, but uh, of sports, but also on the cultural impact that he had. And he, I think it's early to put Diego on the same light because he just left us. Um, and maybe his legacy will uh, will have to wait a, f a few years to see it um, in its full dimension. But at the same time, and given what Santi was saying just now, given the fact that he was, how many times have we read Diego is dead? Diego has died. Diego died on the, on the way to hospital. Diego died on a, a watching Argentina in Russia. Remember, he was he was dead for a while. A couple of reports said that he was. Um, he was he had to be taken to hospital and he didn't make it. We were all panicking, and then recently with the surgery or the time that uh, he had to go to Cuba, um, you know, we've been prepared for this, you know, in a while, but not actually, and not really prepared. And I and I, I can say that for myself, uh, and I think it's the same for a lot of people, but. When we got the news yesterday, I felt like I was ready. Um, I felt like I was prepared to just take it in. And I was, I couldn't be more wrong. Um, I was crying um, the entire day yesterday. I woke up this morning. The first thing I did was cry. Um, and for every tribute that I see coming from all source all sources and uh, from every corner of the world um, it just gets me again and again and again and it's uh, it's impossible that's my that's my kid shouting in the background I apologize if it, if it uh, if you hear it um, but you know it's um, it's emotional uh, on so many different levels because yesterday the kid inside me died a little bit you know and it's it's what Tony was saying that you wanted to be like, I, I think it was Tony. I apologize if he was Andy. Uh, either uh, one of them was saying that he gave kids the, um, the illusion or at least the, the, the hope that they could make it just as he did. Um, and I was one of those, those kids too. I was one of the kids from pretty much the same area. Um, I was born in Avellaneda. He was born in Lanús. They're very close to one another. I used to live in Lanús for a while before Diego was um, Maradona. Um, and I was one of the millions that didn't make it and one of the millions that wanted to be Diego. Um, and that, And those dreams die a little bit again yesterday and that's that's how deep it is that's how difficult it is for me to express myself entirely and and i also want to mention that yesterday was the day my kids comforted me the day i i needed to cry on their shoulders 
and this is um, this is something that I'm seeing that has happened to a lot of people. I've seen several pictures, and every time I see one, it's it hits me again. And I see sixty year sixty year olds crying on the shoulders of their thirty something year olds uh, sons. I've seen older and younger um, going uh, leaning on on their son's shoulders and and that to me speaks volumes I mean that your Santi was saying about the younger generations they are connecting to this phenomenon via their parents um, it's gospel it's it's in our DNA it's uh, and I'm gonna fall into so many different common places but uh, it's it's bigger. Diego was bigger than life while he was living, and 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 now I think it, it, it only his legacy is only going to grow stronger. Um, those are the <laughs> the few things I could collect and put together and 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 say just now. Um, and during the recording, I might come up with uh, different memories and and feelings, but that's what I have so far. Help me out, guys, because I can, I can continue. Yes. Um, I, think, I think he met, sorry, Sam. I, I, no, think he met other, I think he met other requirements to be called a hero or, or a star, an idol, because all, all of the idols or stars or, or musicians, artists uh, that you may mention had their dark side. And, and well, Diego had it also, too. Um, but there is a key point, I think it's bigger than all the negative points, which is some, in some points he was coherent and in, the, in the fact that he was close to the poor and the humble people to face the rich ones because playing for Napoli and, 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 and winning Serie A, Copa, UEFA, the UEFA Cup, which was, the, I think, the actual Europa League. Um, and, and I remember being uh, turning on TV only to watch him play for Napoli uh, because it was a curious thing uh, for that for that times to watch him against what we would say the world because it was the rich ones against uh, the poor, uh, the, the north of Italy against the south, uh, uh, and I think that is I think is uh, uh, covers all 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 the the other things of course the controversies the the, the addictions the things he did were, which weren't good or and we could tag as polemic uh, and, and there is uh, uh, about the, the 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 that fight between the, the the diego in the in the in with the ball uh, against the one outside the pitch and it's a phrase we are now quoting a lot of phrases from different uh, writers like like the Galeano, for example, and another is from Fontana Rosa that yesterday was remembered, which was that, uh, when he was asked about Maradona, he said, well, I don't care about what he did with his life. I care most what he, about what he did with mine. And I think that's a, a phrase that uh, summarizes a lot. Um, and I think it's nothing to add to that phrase. Yeah, thanks all of you. We're going to take a break in a minute. Um, for my own point of view, although I'm 16 or 17 years older than Santi, 
I think I'm probably tied with him for least exposure to Diego, at least as a player. Um, obviously, I can probably remember a little bit more clearly some parts of his post-playing life uh, because I've mentioned on the podcast before how between England not qualifying in 1994 and the whole of that World Cup being in a very inconvenient time zone for people in Europe and the fact that neither of my parents uh, particularly cared about football, I didn't really end up following that World Cup. My first World Cup was in 1998. Um, and as a result, I don't really have any contemporary memories of him as a player. And also, I was two years old when the hand of God took place. So I've uh, often had to feel questions since moving to Argentina from locals who want to rid me about the hand of God and say, look, I don't care. It happened before I could remember. It's just, it's football history to me. I'm, I don't hold it against him. Um, but anyway, it even so feels very strange to, uh, to, 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 to imagine, as Seba was saying earlier, that the world doesn't contain him anymore. Um, and I was uh, asked during a podcast uh, recording last night, it, it was on a section that didn't actually end up going onto the podcast, I don't think, um, by the host, whether we could draw a parallel with Princess Diana for, from the point of view of a UK audience, at least. Um, and I think to an extent you can, because although this death was much more predictable than Diana's death was, obviously, you have a similarly uh, strong and, and, and large outpouring of emotion. Um, and I'm as anti-royalist as the next person, trust me. Uh, but it was a slightly bizarre feeling being in the UK um, and waking up that morning and hearing, well, she's not here anymore uh, because she was so all-encompassing. And Maradona in very many ways is, is like that, even for people who don't give a shit about football, who don't particularly or didn't particularly like him as a person and so on. The fact that he's not going to be part of Argentina anymore. The fact that we're going to be switching on the television this weekend to, to watch the, uh, I was about to call it the Superliga, but the, the Copa de la Liga Profesional de Football, as they still insist on calling it. And he's not going to be part of Gimnasia's pre-match rigmarole and everything. Feels very strange. And of course, in a done way, he is very much going to be part of Gimnasia's pre-match rigmarole because there's no way they're going to be able to... Uh, not do anything to acknowledge what has happened. Um, but anyway, on that note, we're going to take a brief break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the highlights uh, and perhaps some of the lowlights of Maradona's career. Welcome back. In a rare moment of pandering to our North American cousins, Santi has suggested uh, that we tie in with Thanksgiving and try to, uh, I guess, it, for a lot of us, it, it, it's going to be a case of trying to limit ourselves to not going on and on for several hours about the things that we are thankful, uh, thankful for 
stemming from the career and life of Mr. Maradona. Um, I can see on the Zoom that nobody has raised their hands yet, but I think probably that one of the Argentines ought to take the lead for this one. Santi, it was your idea, so do you want to go for it? Cool. Um, I think um, as someone who has uh, grown mostly appreciating the Maradona the phenomenon more than Maradona the player or Maradona the, the, public, the public figure, I think uh, the, mo the, the thing I'm most thankful for Maradona is, about Maradona is uh, the fact that he gave Argentines a reason to be united, something to be united about. And in a time when, well, in a time, in a, in a country that has, uh, that has been divided from, from its very inception, I think, uh, and has always found reasons to be split and to take sides in each and every single conversation, I think it is so refreshing and so important uh, for someone to just uh, follow a unanimous, uh, a unanimous chanty, a unanimous course, you know, someone who has been loved by about 90% of the population, someone who was supported by 90% of the population and someone who just uh, erodes all kinds of differences. The depictions we've seen of uh, Boca fans and River fans and even Rosario Central and News fans embraced something that it's, it's so unimaginable, just uh, People from all kinds of uh, political leanings, all kinds of um, well, sexualities, uh, all kinds of uh, allegiances to clubs, or even even whether they're interested in football or not, it's uh, it's a quality that I I truly appreciate from him because for someone to unite the Argentine people in this way. It is something truly spectacular and unique, completely unique. Yeah, as Dan put it beautifully on Twitter um, yesterday, I thought when he said that almost all Argentines, uh, whether they like football or not, and whether they would agree with him or not, feel like they've lost a family member. Uh, it, it might be that that's the uncle that you never got on with and always thought was a bit of an asshole, but you still feel like you've lost somebody. Um, Seba. Yeah, I took a while um, thinking about this, um, and I wanna, uh, you know, I always, I, 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 I wouldn't say I hate, but I dislike when people make stuff about themselves, like being self-referential, like talking about themselves when when something um, bigger than them happens. Uh, but I think. On this one, I'm giving a free pass to everyone who does that um, because I think it's a way of measuring the impact that Diego has. Uh, like, I could I could spend hours now reading what people has to say about their close encounters with Diego or how Diego saved uh, their lives 
in a foreign country lost in the middle of the night, not, not knowing the language and saying Maradona, Maradona, Argentina, and all of a sudden uh, hostility became friendship and, <laughs> and a bad moment turned into an unforgettable memory, which, a good one. Um, so I, I would like to thank Diego for many, many things. Um, but I will choose just one. And then I will make a little bit of a self-reference, but because I think it's uh, it suits uh, what we're talking and it suits the day and the occasion. Um, but I want to thank Diego for being a better person and a better icon than he was a footballer, and for staying true all his life to his own class, to his own people, and and to his own neighbors and and to. Uh, all the anonymous heroes that we have in in in, in our country to the people um, and the self reference will be that i uh, I was thinking and it wasn 't yesterday it was only today that I remember uh, or that it, that moment came to to me because um, I was lucky enough to be around Diego and to be really close to Diego three times in my life. obviously, I remember every detail of every one of them. Um, the first one was in '93. The second was in in the year 2000, on his birthday. <laughs> on his birthday, and the last one was in a very, very uh, random place. Uh, but it was also um, very, very. Um, I, I'm struggling to find the words, but also suitable um, because he was in Beijing in the middle of the birth nest, that impressive stadium. And it was just after Argentina won the gold medal in the football competition. <laughs> and Diego was there in a role of an ambassador. Uh, so he was going to visit all the, um, all the athletes. He was going to watch the hockey girls, going to watch the volleyball guys, whatever. I don't, I, I don't think the volleyballs, the volleyball guys qualify for that one. But anyway, you get the point. He was going to see every athlete competing for Argentina and being with them, especially after the defeat. So he was there. He was there. I knew he was there in the stadium, but I didn't know what was going to happen next. And I was there on the pitch near the athletic track waiting for the medal ceremony. The Brazilian team was there because they were there to receive the bronze medal. They had lost to Argentina in the semifinals. So Ronaldinho was there, Diego the other Diego, the, the Brazilian Diego, uh, Dunga, all of them were, were there. Of course, Argentina had a team with Messi, Agüero, Riquelme, Macherano, you name them. Uh, and then I see the Nigeria players, they won the silver medal and they were all like getting together and <laughs> it was a, like a big crowd of Nigeria players and, and, and I was, didn't understand, I didn't realize at the moment. And then when, the, when that little crowd broke, they were all taking pictures, selfies, uh, there, came, uh, there was Diego and he was walking towards where I was. He wasn't walking towards me, of, of course, but he was walking on my, in my direction I was, and I was there. And I was wearing a uniform. I was working for the Olympic News Service. And of course, you're not supposed to ask for autographs. I was part of the press, so to speak. Um, and I couldn't take a selfie or anything. So um, I just got close to him and I shook his hand, not the left, the other one. <laughs> and, I, and I was able to say thank you 
thank you to his face. I, I said, gracias. That, that was it. I, I didn't want to bother him, be one of those people who always chase him and make his life impossible. But I, I think it's suitable because I was lucky enough to be there and say thank you. And he smiled back at me. And I never, I will never forget that. So I, I think it's, uh, to be recording this on this, on a day like this, um, you know, it's a self-reference that I'm indulging uh, to right now because um, I just also wanted to share that with all of you. Yeah, I was going to say, um, kind of from my point of view, I'm going to take a leaf a little bit from, from Sarah's book and, and delve a little bit into, into self-reference. Um, you know, I came to Argentina, what, 11 years ago now, and it was a time where I must admit, you know, I wasn't thinking of uh, pursuing a career in football. I come out here uh, just to see what the country was about and, and try my luck. Um, and it was a time in my life where where football had become uh, less important to me, but I'd say thanks to Racing and, and thanks to Maradona, kind of the spark I might have had when, when I was a kid and, and watching the game, it was, it was reignited because, uh, you know, from being in the in Racing Stadium and, and seeing kind of the, the passion, the, the craziness around the game, that kind of uh, got me back, you know, feeling what it was to be part of... Um, this wonderful sport and then working as a, as a part of uh, the press and, and reporting on Maradona, you, you just see instantly that, that he's a guy who's larger than life. Um, a guy who, who, when he walks into a room, he used to take every single pair of eyes. Everyone would be trained on him. And, and I think over the years I've probably written uh, dozens probably at least two dozen articles centered on Maradona, some critical, of course, um, but I've also been lucky enough to, to be able to delve into his, his archives, so to speak, um, and do these, these articles looking back on, on kind of key moments of his life, these, um, these episodes he had at Napoli with the national team, when he was coach at Racing even, when he was coach at Mandishu, his time at Sevilla, um, just all of these incredible anecdotes, these incredible things that happen to one guy. And, and it kind of hits you when you're writing them. I mean, just, I mean, it feels like an eternity ago, but less than a month ago I was writing, you know, about his, um, his 60th birthday. And, you know, I picked out uh, Diego for every decade and, and kind of really delved into it. But, you realize you're only scratching the surface with this guy. Um, and literally it, it sounds like a cliche, but, but he's someone that, that packed in 10, 20, 30 lives within his, his one life of, of 60 years. And kind of the more you just delve into who Diego is, especially if you're someone who, who's coming from the outside, who didn't live it the first time around, um, just, what this guy lived, uh, what he went through, um, how he was, you know, always the protagonist in so many situations, some joyful, some sad, some bizarre, some deplorable even, let's admit it, but, but you, get the, you get this feeling that, that he's someone 
who lived every single day like indeed it, it was his last um, he and he touched so many people's lives um, I think there's there are very few you know professional footballers or even you know people remotely connected to football who who can say they haven't been touched in some way either directly or indirectly by by Maradona um, uh, so I, I guess I'm thankful for for just being able to to find out who this guy is, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and and to be able to um, to communicate it, to be able to tell a story. I mean, as a smaller part as as I've played in it. Um, I'm gonna go the other way around. I think I'm gonna be thankful, and I th also it's kind of coming back what I said earlier. Uh, but I, I think I will be I will be thankful because um, he was a miracle worker, in a way, with himself especially, and with many things that he did on the pitch, especially uh, either playing or managing. Like I just remember Argentina qualifying for the World Cup when he was manager, and and how that went on. That week was crazy. Those games were crazy, and. I, I'm I'm thankful uh, for reminding us all that everything can be achievable. Uh, sometimes with luck, sometimes with a bit of luck and a lot of hard work, sometimes only with hard work, but it's it's possible. And I'm I'm thankful because that that opened the door for many 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 uh, people able to do that. Reflecting on Maradona and and saying I can do that too. And I'm thinking of how many how many people and, and athletes and uh, artists or whatever you name it, which could have we could be missing out if it wasn't for Maradona. And you can argue that obviously they can get inspiration for some somewhere else. But uh, I don't know. Uh, yesterday I was watching a clip of uh, Diana Taurasi, uh, one of the best um, Italian NBA players. I mean, she plays basketball. And she was so touched by Maradona history and, and story. And, and she credits Maradona a lot for, for her career. And like Dan said, there's always a connection in, in, in a direct or indirect way. So I'm thankful for, being a, for Maradona being a constant reminder that anything is possible, that if you put your heart and your mind into it you can do anything and thankful for all the good memories that he brought us and the good memories that indirectly because of him people was uh, able to to give us to well i i will be thankful just simply because of how good he treated the ball um, uh, and, and there is a story, you, you know, and we all know that he he was uh, as good with a, a football uh, ball as he was with a golf ball, a tennis ball, even an orange. Uh, and uh, there is a story that uh, uh, is a fragment from a, from a piece, a great piece written by, by Valdano, published today in La Nación. Uh, that just it puts clearly how he was, how virtuous he was with the ball. 
uh, and uh, he remembers that he were, they were in Berlin. I, I will read it like quoting him. Uh, he said that we were in Berlin uh, waiting for a match with Argentina and, and Bilardo insisted on the necessity of uh, improving the skills, refining the skills, and uh, he was quite obsessed as with everything. Uh, and uh, he repeated with, without stopping that a player, an Argentine player, had to live with the volley at his, in his, on his feet. Uh, during the morning, during the, 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 the afternoon, during the evening, always with the ball. He repeated all the, all the same during a lot of, of during several days. So uh, when it was the, the, the time to eat, Diego went out of his room controlling the ball. He took an elevator controlling the ball and then he went to the dining room. He sat down and the ball continued in the, in the air uh, like, uh, at, at the same time as he was eating the bread. So Bilardo entered to the dining room, saw him and with a smile in his face said, look, that's why he's Maradona. So it's a, just a, a little story I wanted to share. Um, and, and well, it's the way I, 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 I wanted to say thanks. Thank you to, to Maradona. Yeah, I'd uh, thank him for that kind of mental image as well. The humor um, and the, the more lighthearted side of off the pitch life um, that, that we get when we, when we hear those kind of stories. Um, and also as, as a, as a football fan, um, for the state of, of the modern game in a positive way, not, not in a horrible way where we have the wrong people owning clubs and all that kind of stuff, you know what I mean? Um, but the development of the sport on the pitch, football is a game that through its history has always developed through great managers and great players doing things that were previously unimaginable, um, in 20 or 30 years' time, people might end up looking back on videos of Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo and thinking, well, that doesn't look so different from the football that we see today. So why does it look so different from the football everyone else is playing? And that's very much what you get when you see the obviously much smaller uh, number of videos that we have of Maradona's career. Now, while we've been recording, I've, I've been watching a replay of Argentina versus Italy from the 1990 World Cup. Um, which is on Deport TV, if any of the rest of you now want to uh, switch to that while having it on mute, obviously. Um, and even though it's you know not one of his better performances, I am aware of the contribution he's going to be making during the shootout towards the end, spoiler alert, um, he still has this magnetism um, each time he gets the ball. You know it's him, even if he's getting it face on to goal that there's something different about the way that he moves with the ball and off the ball and towards the ball when he's about to receive it. Um, and it's probably something that, that we see more frequently, if not to the same level in today's football than we did before he started playing. And so for his contribution to the game, thank you. Santi? Yeah, on that note, uh, it reminded me of a great, great, great project that was carried, carried about by, I think, uh, uh, over the top uh, streaming service called Shasports, which I don't know if it's still around. 
but uh, back when um, back when it was the 30 year anniversary of the 1986 World Cup, um, this group of people, not just this uh, streaming service, this Indian streaming service, they began to carry about uh, a coverage of the 1986 World Cup in real time with the real dates and the real time zones of each and every single game of that World Cup. And that uh, allowed me, and I think a lot, a lot more people back then, to not just uh, stay with the highlights and uh, watch the, the reels and, the, and the, the, the videos that have been on loop for the last 10 years, 20 years, but also the, the contributions Maradona made on the pitch that went unnoticed. Like every single time he was uh, just rabid to get the ball back. Every single time he, he, found, um, he found a teammate, even, even those, uh, those chances that didn't end in goals, uh, those big chances he it created. It's, it's such a scintillating watch, uh, just uh, 90 minutes of, of Diego Maradona and just I'm following as well each and every single move the Argentina national team made during that um, fateful month of June. It's, uh, it's, it, it was a great, great project and it, uh, it made a, an impressive job of trying to just uh, picture uh, or just uh, understand the scale and uh, the brilliance of uh, Maradona at his very, very peak uh, for us who didn't get the chance to, to, to enjoy him at that peak of his career. Yeah, and, and speaking of that uh, peak of his career and also that game, that semifinal in, in, in the San Paolo Stadium, now, now the Diego Maradona Stadium, um, I would like to recommend to you guys and to everyone listening to this, the impressive Asif Kaparia documentary. Um, I watched it again uh, last night. Um, and I, uh, it centers around Diego's time in Napoli, especially. Um, and all those years, not just the, the good things, but also the dark and ugly things. And it helps you, even if you're a big follower of Diego and you know what Diego was doing in every year of his adult life. And like me, you have um, maybe uh, a timeline of your own life uh, measured by World Cups and measured by events in Diego's life. Um, it, 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 even if you're a diehard Diego fan, um, it really helps you understand it a little bit more. It really helps you understand Diego, really get Diego and what he meant and what he, and especially what he had to endure and what he went through. I think I was thinking, talking to my wife yesterday and I was saying maybe I would have died at the age of 17 if I was Diego. I wouldn't have been able to stand the pressure and he wasn't even going through the worst of it. Um, I mean, it was so, so difficult to be Maradona. I mean, impossible to be Maradona and impossible to survive to be in Maradona. I think he lived um, maybe the equivalent of all the Rolling Stones members, past and present, put together in only one 
uh, in only one person um, and only one body. And if you if you have a look at the, how many pictures have been taken of Diego, how many different looks, how many different faces, how many different places he's been to. I mean, um, there are records of every single day for Diego, uh, like 60 years worth of pictures and everything. And, and that documentary kind of um, really helps you understand um, especially the, the, the lesser known things that he was going through. Um, and it was a moment, I think it was a, a crucial moment in his life. He, I think he reached the peak in Mexico, but also later for Napoli. He kept going higher and higher and higher until that semifinal that you're mentioning, Sam. I think that, that it's a, like a like a turning point because that was the moment Italy decided to abandon him, decided to turn his their back on him. Um, he was left unprotected. He was left alone. He, he was attacked by the media, by the people, by everybody. And he was devour, de devoured and he had to leave. He was suspended uh, from football. I mean, what, what can hurt Diego the most? Um, apart from not being able to practice the sport that he loved. Um, and he also hurt all of us around the world. He, we were, um, we were uh, prevented from watching him a year and a bit uh, at probably the latest year of the, the latest stages of his career, but he was still pretty, he was pretty decent. Not only pretty decent, he was excellent uh, still at that age at, 30, 31 years old. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I think watching that documentary again and watching it a year ago when my, uh, my son was the same age I was in Mexico 86 and listening to him after the documentary and telling, he, him telling me, Daddy, I think I, I really understand what Diego means to you now. Thank you for making me watch. <clears throat> this documentary and thank you for sharing your idol with me and that was really that was really something else and we watched it yesterday again and he was looking at me uh, from the corner of his eye and seeing his daddy cry so many times in one day um, can only be explained by the sheer size of Diego's figure uh, it's, it's not going to be someone like him again Thanks, Seba. I'm going to, Dan has got his uh, hand raised on our Zoom participants list, but I, I'm, first of all, apologies to our listeners. If you heard my keyboard clacking very loudly while Seba was talking, I was just uh, letting everyone know that I had something to say. I thought my microphone was muted and it wasn't. Um, but what I had to say was that the documentary that Seba's just mentioned, the Asif Kapadia one, I happen to know via my contacts in... Um, WhatsApp, that uh, that was shown in the very early hours of this morning uh, on Channel 4 in the UK or on 4 Plus 1 or something. Uh, so it should be available through whatever Channel 4's catch-up service is to our British listeners. Uh, and now I will cede the floor to English Dan. No, I just wanted to mention, um, uh, again to me, when, when Seba brought up uh, the Rolling Stones, one of Maradona's many infinite... Um, Brilliant quotes, um, speaking once, he said, if, Pelle's, if Pelle is Beethoven, 
I am Ronnie Wood, Keith Richards, and I'm Bono all put together. Um, that was it. Like, I think that's another part of, um, you know, what will live on with uh, Maradona, his contribution to the Argentine Spanish language, I think, is, is bigger than probably a lot of uh, poets, writers, <laughs> literary figures, um, and it'll probably be longer lasting too. So that's, that's something that we might not think of straight away, but it's definitely going to gonna live on from him. Yeah, I think it's gone to the point where some, some phrases have become kind of Shakespearean in a way that just people have basically forgotten about their origins. Like uh, they're, they've become some com so commonplace that uh, they just uh, have grown into us. And people don't even wonder where they, where they originated. It's, in, it's in the English in the English speaking world, the uh, the one that tends to get attention, I guess, because he directed it at Peter Shilton in his autobiography, and it was slightly clunkily translated. Apologies um, to Marcelo Moriaro if you're listening. Um, was Thermos Head, um, but my personal favourite as a Spanish language uh, learner, obviously, was Se le escapó la tortuga for somebody who's done something a bit stupid or slow. The, the tortoise got away from him. Um, which I've always loved. Does anybody else have any particular favourites? Andres, you've got your hand up. Yeah. No, I, I will uh, say thank you to the Liga Profesional because they have renamed the Copa de la Liga Profesional as Copa Diego Maradona. I have just read. Uh, right. the, the Copa? I, mean, I thought they'd renamed the, the upcoming league championship. No, it's oh. the Copa. No, no oh, it's, well, it's okay. the cover which, which I think, to be absolutely honest, I think that's a disservice because people people are gonna forget this this it's tournament. A uh, tin pot this, competition think, that's only gonna be played once, and yeah, yes, yeah, and it's uh, and it's generally accepted to be one of the worst in the history of Argentine football, and for it to to bear Maradona's name is, it's not particularly you know, something to be proud of. Yeah, to put the two themes together, uh, if I see the Liga, the Football Professional guys in the desert, I will throw them an anchovy, and that's my <laughs> that, that's another one of that's another of my favorite quotes from Diego. <laughs> I was gonna say uh, one that he saved for his long-term agent and drinking buddy. I guess is probably the best um, definition. Uh, Guillermo Coppola. He said once. So like he's such a he's such a character he could probably smoke underwater. Yes. <laughs> actually, actually, I think uh, that that's what the uh, Coppola's autobiography is called. Ended up being. I wouldn't be surprised to tell you. Smoking underwater. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So my I think my favorite quote uh, is one that I absolutely love watching. Like I could I could watching a loop over and over again is when uh, he he used to host his own TV show, uh, La Noche del Diez, which I think uh, um, the producer, Adrian Suarez, should just uh, pick up a phone, speak to the nearest Netflix representative and just uh, put it on that platform as soon as possible, uh, which is Latima uh, Nadie, Maestro. Pity no one. It's, it's so simple yet so sharp. It, <laughs> I can't believe it's so good. Andres? 
Yes, I wanted to, to share a, a phrase I read yesterday, also said by, by Maradona, uh, that was when he bought a, a truck and he took it to the, to the rich neighborhood in which he was living and, and his neighbors asked him to remove it. And he said, I will remove it if you tell me how you earn your money, because you all know how, how I earn it. I mentioned, we'll move on. Uh, I mentioned during my opening monologue, the 1962 World Cup, which is, as all World Cup history nerds will know, uh, the only other World Cup apart from 1986, which is commonly held up as being won by a single player. And in fact, uh, if you think about it, there, there are no shortage of um, common themes between the life of Diego Maradona and the life of Garrincha, the player who won 62 for Brazil after Pelé was kicked out of the tournament early. Um, they were both, and this is a, a quote, it's one of my favourite quotes um, from our good friend Tim Vickery. Um, he uses it about Maradona, but uh, I, I don't think really that you could use it about Garrincha to quite the same degree. It's true that they were both addicts, um, but what Tim says about Maradona is that his first addiction was winning. And from that, you can draw that once uh, that was no longer a possibility for an extended period when he was at Barcelona and got that horrific injury, the other addiction started creeping in. Obviously, with Garincha, it was a little bit different. He was never really addicted to winning. He famously was walking around the pitch at the end of the 1958 World Cup after Brazil had won their first trophy asking who they were playing next because he didn't really get the concept of the tournament at all. He was just enjoying playing football. Um, but they, they both had that addiction to the game, certainly, and struggled with, with other um, substance issues, let's say. Um, I did say that we weren't going to ignore that side of Maradona's life, but I don't want to dwell on it too much, only to, to say that, to me, the last few years of his life, the last decade of his life really if we take out this this recent final period at gimnasia seemed to me to be when he was happiest after leaving um after leaving life as a player and i don't think that that's surprising um he he, he seems to have lost his way after retiring as a player and much as i'll never really forgive the argentine football association or especially julio grandona from effectively throwing away Argentina's shot at winning the 2010 World Cup by appointing Maradona as manager, it did get Maradona back into the game. And from that moment, from the moment he took charge, even if we all in the bottom of our brains, if not hearts, knew that it was going to be a disaster, um, he looked happier. He, he looked healthier than he had done at uh, most points during the intervening years. Um, and he never you know, hit the same heights. He was never close to being able to hope to hit the same heights as a manager as, than he did as a player. But just being around football again um, seemed to elevate him to a great degree, uh, in my opinion. Seba, you've got your hand up. Yeah, and, and I wanted to start by thanking you for bringing this point because I, uh, I, I was going to hate myself because I was thinking about apologizing to Diego um, 
at, uh, during a moment in this recording and apologizing to Diego in particular for my behavior, my thoughts, my uh, phrases or whatever uh, they, they, they were during that World Cup because as you said, we all uh, imagined it, it was going to end in disaster and it did. I mean, at least uh, the, the, the first decent proper team that faced Argentina demolished us like for nil. <laughs> um, it was Germany, pretty good team, but uh, we were never in the in the game. We were never going to be in the game, but I completely missed um, the point. I completely missed this um, aspect that you're mentioning, completely missed that I I am a nobody and I, and I was pretty furious about the AFA appointing him, not because I had anything against him. I, I just didn't think it was going to work out. I just, um, I wanted to um, win the World Cup. Obviously, I wanted to make the most of having Messi at his prime. Um, and I knew I, it wasn't going to work out. But I, uh, I, I was also angry at Diego for making mistakes or for whatever reason. And and I think I completely missed the point. And I, uh, I regret feeling that way about him and about the team uh, missing on the uh, on the general feeling that people were really really happy to see him uh, to he to see him so connected so passionate about things and i and i have to say i, I enjoyed that part as well but i but i i was putting the footballing aspects um and the and the fortunes of that team ahead of diego and ahead of everything else and and i regret that and i I want to apologize to Diego. I, I know it sounds silly, but I really do. And I, I uh, that's the one regret that I had, that I have in my virtual relationship with him, that I wasn't 100% uh, with him or supporting him no matter what during that World Cup in particular. And um, and I, I feel better like if I was in therapy here talking to a shrink or some or somebody, I feel better by by saying it because um, it just feels right. It just feels right to say it now and to apologize to him for this. I'm sure he'd forgive you. Not not that I'm speaking <laughs> for him, of course. Yeah. But, uh, we will move on to listeners' questions uh, now. I did ask uh, people for specifics because obviously it was pretty obvious that we were going to be discussing Maradona all episode um to tasheris english who said at least mention that tasheris are leading the group of death there you go i've mentioned it um as i said we will be going over um the uh the last week in football uh on the pitch um in handapod extra for our patreon supporters um ragnar johansson says do you think that the number 10 should never be worn again for the national team like they do in the nba i seem to remember sometime around the turn of the century um, that Argentina did try to retire the number 10 and were told in no uncertain terms by FIFA that they couldn't. Um, personally, I'm not sure that Maradona would want that to happen, but I don't know what anybody else thinks. Santi? Yeah, um, of course, I, was, I can't say I remember that happening, but I remember the, 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 the anecdotes of, uh, of Argentina initially trying to retire the shirt uh, and give... Um, Ortega, the number 24 in the 2002 World Cup, but then uh, getting that request denied. And uh, I think it makes sense uh, for it not to be retired because uh, 
And I'm going to paraphrase uh, Alessandro Del Piero when he retired. Uh, well, I don't know if that was when he retired or he left Juventus. Uh, and people asked uh, whether he would like for his number 10 shirt in Juventus to be retired. And he answered that uh, kids dream of being the next uh, Alessandro Del Piero or being the next big number 10 in that team. So why should they be stripped of that chance? I think uh, players will keep, uh, will keep uh, coming up and be, being inspired by number 10s of the past and they can write their own story as their own number 10. And I think, um, and I'm not entirely in favor of stripping them from that possibility as much as, uh, as, much as it is an honor for, someone, for someone's shirt to be retired. I think uh, I lean towards uh, having more people be given the chance to, to prove themselves. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a, a Messi wearing the number 10, for example. Yeah, indeed. Um, Jamie says, oh, I can't... Sorry. Go on, Andres. Sorry. No, yes, I was going to say that today, uh, Napoli were played their match against Vieca. I don't know how to pronounce that. It's a Croatian club. Uh, for the uh, Europa League, and they did it with all of the uh, the artichokes with the number ten and Maradona in their uh, uh, written on them, and they won. So I don't think uh, uh, I think that's a bit of a response to that to that question. Answering the popular question, could a team full of name player here win a match? Um, Jamie says, I can't believe so soon after the Handapod 10th anniversary that you guys will be coming together to discuss another special 10. Here's a trivia question I've been wondering about. Now, I'm going to interject myself here and say that as a pub quiz master, I'm deeply uncomfortable about reading out a trivia question to which I don't know the answer. But perhaps one of us uh, will. Jamie's question is, who is the last Argentine manager to die in post while still actively managing a team? I think actively managing, in all honesty, is possibly a little bit generous he's, he's been largely passively managing Himnasia for a while but obviously as I mentioned earlier technically Himnasia do now have to replace him does anybody know of any precedent for this I'm gonna jump uh into it I'm gonna throw a three-pointer and try to guess I don't think that's when he died but maybe the the name that comes into my head is Angel Tuliosov am I right am I wrong could any of our um Argentines um, or, or Dan tell something. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of the next one who will die. Maybe my my numbers, uh, my my bet will be on Pusineri. But anyway, not to get distracted. Uh, <laughs> um, I have that wasn't no necessary. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Low blow. Um, um, I have no clue, to be honest. Um, I'll try and look it up for you, Jamie, and, and perhaps try and if I remember, I'll, I'll get back to you with that next week. Uh, Liam Kelly, who is no relation to me, says, any truth in the reports about Carlos Tevez moving into politics when he retires? Yikes. Also, uh, I actually... Maradona. Sorry, Liam, Liam continues. Savantir about Maradona, a flawed genius, but a genius all the same. Without doubt, one of the best footballers to have lived. May he rest in peace. Uh, go on, actually, Tevez. no, I was going to say, actually, I replied to Liam just a few minutes ago. I, I saw that, that question. I, I replied. I went uh, with that, and I'm going to say it for the benefit of the listeners. And I said that I don't know if those rumors are true, but that I hope that they're not true because there are so, so many right wings 
celebrities already uh, out there. We don't need another one. Mm. Indeed, <laughs> yes. We're, we're not a political podcast, but I think that that's something we probably all... Oh, that's my opinion. I'm entitled to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no. And, and I don't think yeah. that any... As far as I can make out, I don't think any of the six of us uh, who are here today mm. will disagree with you. Uh, David, I, and I think... Uh, sorry, just one final uh, thing on this. And I think uh, Tevez is the exact opposite of Diego in so many ways. It could look like they're two of the same, that they have very similar uh, career and origins and successes and uh, they're loved by the people, but uh, Tevez did something that Maradona never did. Tevez forgot mm. about his origins, about where he belongs and about the people that was born around him and he played for the other side now. He played for the for the guys that Diego always hated. And yeah, to, to be short on, on, on Sevan following up, he's, he's just selfish. That's the short answer. And I don't think that's something that we need. Yeah, and, and for all of uh, Maradona's personal faults, that wasn't something that you could accuse him of. Uh, David Novoshevsky says, what is the, your favorite goal or moment of Diego's career for each of you. So quickly, please, guys, one each. Andres, you've got your microphone unmuted. Yeah, the 112 could be, or the <laughs> any of the of the two goals he scored against England in the, Mexico in 1986 is not no uh, surprise there. Dan? Um, oh, sorry, sorry, you go. Okay, okay. Now I'm gonna go with um, and a not very known or popular and. It's my personal favorite because it's the first first time I saw him at the stadium. It was uh, in 1987. It was a friendly against Germany, same teams that played the final of the World Cup a year um, earlier. And um, the same winner, the same goal-scoring uh, goal hero, uh, Jorge Burruchaga, uh, scored the only goal of that game. But the favorite moment is when Diego... Um, started juggling an orange near the corner flag where I was standing and I was 10 years old and I, and I can't get that image away uh, out of my, out of my head. And I don't want to either, <laughs> but that's my favorite moment with him. First time I saw him live and he was more than I expected. And he was already a hero for me. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I will pick that one. It's not a goal, but it's, it's a personal favorite for me. Dan, Santi, Tony, anyone want to jump in? Uh, yes, I'm going to limit myself to stuff, you know, I actually saw live and 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 therefore could appreciate while they happened. I think um, I know where this is coming then. It's got to be 2009, Monumental, Lashing Rain, <laughs> Martin Palermo and Diego throwing himself across the, the sudden turf and sliding almost to the corner flag. That was the definitive moment of Maradona as Argentine coach. Argentina coach. Same with Diego. Tony? Um, I'm not going to say a goal uh, like some others. I'm going to go with the memory, uh, which was, like I said before, the uh, I got to see the very last couple of games of, of Diego playing. Uh, but the first one I remember is it's the last Super Classico um, because my grandfather went to Buenos Aires because of we were living in a little uh, town. Uh, went to Buenos Aires, bought this I, I, illegal kind of way to watch the Codificados, which I think Seba and Andy will know what I'm talking about. And 
he he would come back to to our house and and we were all uh gathered around the TV to watch that that game. Uh I think it was it was playing in River Stadium if I'm not wrong. Um and it was not only seeing the Super Classico and, and I think even the, the neighborhoods uh, came to our house because it was the only way to watch it. Um, but also watching Maradona because we uh, we will talk. They they talked to me a lot about this Maradona guy. It was like, who, who <laughs> what is he going to do? And yeah, it was, it was special. I think it was the kind of the first memory of Maradona for me. Santi. I'm guessing memories of Maradona are going to be slim pickings in your case, but <laughs> yeah, they, this, this would uh, come up uh, more than once in this episode. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna go for something uh, that was, uh, in my opinion, pretty straightforward for me, which is uh, one of the very last times Diego was on a football pitch. And it was earlier this year. I can't believe it was this year. Uh, it feels like it was like two or three years ago. But um, the time Diego visited um, the Estadio Libertadores de America, um, not just for, from the from a perspective of, uh, of an independent fan, but um, I kind of always knew uh, almost as a pop quiz uh, kind of... Uh, stat or, or datum that uh, Diego used to be an independent childhood fan or, or maybe that was arguable maybe I mean you could say that uh, his childhood idol was uh, Ricardo Bocchini which is well, a very uh, something you could actually confirm the fact that whether he's supporting Independiente or not or just Bocchini is open to debate but uh my thing when the when he visited the Libertadores de America back in February was actually the the one and only time that I could uh, take Diego and embrace him as my own as something of my own, which uh, was something I had never done before. Diego was uh, until then something that didn't belong entirely to me. It belonged mostly to to Boca fans. It belonged to Gimnasia fans. It belonged to Newell's fans. It belonged to Argentinos' fans. Even Racing's fans. But uh, until then, I had never uh, envisioned him as uh, uh, an icon of Independiente. I mean, the fact that he never played there, he never managed there was... I mean, it's it's a fairly logical reason why. But uh, for him to be accompanied by the legends like uh, Bocchini and Burruchaga, who were, in fact, uh, teammates in 1986, and all three of them shared uh, a pitch together, even if it was for only five minutes of the semifinal against Belgium, uh, in which the legend has it that Diego received Bocchini with the words, come in, master, we've been expecting you. But uh, to see him just, uh, and the outpour of love from from all four corners of, uh, of, the, of that stadium, as if he had played 200, 300 games for Independiente, even though he played none. It was something, it was something incredible. And for him to recreate his La Noche del Diez moment in which uh, he yelled at the camera that Independiente Stadium could only bear Ricardo Bocchini's name, Enrique Bocchini, as he, as he, quote, he, he was quoted with saying, 
That was really special. That was really, really special. Even despite the fact that Independiente miserably lost that game to Diego's Gimnasia in the final kick of the, of the game. But that moment was uh, maybe the, the closest I ever felt Diego. It was the only time I ever saw Diego on a football pitch. And it was one of the last times anyone saw Diego on a football pitch. Which is weird, to be honest. Uh, I, I still can't get my head around that. We won't see him on a football pitch ever again. In any capacity. Yeah, that, that, that's the the strange thing. As somebody who didn't have a childhood that was uh, lived in his shadow or, or or enthralled to him or anything, it still felt a little bit like somebody had just very gently, but nonetheless, punched me in the chest yesterday when I turned the TV on, or, or rather when I switched WhatsApp on and, and saw your uh, your initial message, Santi. Um, yeah, it, it feels odd. My own favourite memory, um, not memory, I guess, reconstructed memory from his highlight reel is very unoriginal. It's already been mentioned, but it is the second goal against England in the 1986 World Cup quarterfinal. I did have a very tangential um, experience of it, which is, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, and as everybody who listens to the podcast knows, I'm a huge World Cup history nerd. Um, and therefore, when I went to Mexico for one of my best friend's weddings and was in Mexico City for a, a week or so prior to heading down um, to Acapulco, where he got married, uh, I couldn't not visit the Estadio Azteca, the only stadium to have hosted. And it still is because the Maracana has been knocked down and completely rebuilt, uh, but the only stadium to have hosted two World Cup finals. Um, and funnily enough, Purely by coincidence, there happened to be a match on at it the day after I went. America were playing against Atlas. So I got a ticket because that was the only way I could actually get into the stadium. Um, and when I went back the next day on the way in, I walked right past the main entrance. By pure coincidence, the ticket that I had bought happened to involve walking in through the security check and then walking straight past the main entrance to the stadium, where there is a, a huge bronze plaque to the two greatest goals in World Cup history because both of those goals were scored in the Estadio Azteca one being Brazil's fourth goal in the 1970 World Cup final and the other one being the goal of the century um, so that's my little personal career highlight there's also one to take it into the Argentine domestic scene that I have a memory of him scoring a goal I think in a Super Clásico but it might have been played for Argentinos but it was certainly against River in the Monumental, um, from way out near the touchline and really quite close to the goal line as well, which loops up and over the goalkeeper. Um, that one is right up there as well. Uh, Bob, that was for Boca. Yeah, was for I can Boca, confirm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, Bob Roberts says, why don't you guys rank your personal all-time top five? Uh, personally, I'm not going to because I, I don't really have one. Um, I don't think that it's it's that important a question i realize i'm very unusual um in this but if anybody else wants to have a go i want to have a go yeah um for me it will be diego of 86 diego of napoli then diego of argentino juniors (laughs) uh, then diego of uh, boca (laughs) and diego injured diego (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm making a top five of Diego. Yeah, it's just because today is all about Diego. Um, and I didn't think it through. It just came to my mind. But um, 
that's the way I would rank it. I, I think I mentioned four. Uh, so add in Diego of um, 1990 for the epic factors. So there you go. <laughs> That's my top five of Diego's. Cheers, Seba. Anyone else want to have a go? Or should we move on to the next question? No, I'm just going to say that I think that ranking players is just unfair. I mean, to, I mean, I will be Lynch if I say my, my fifth might be Rafa van der Waard for the memories only. So it's just unfair to rank players from different circumstances and I'm always against that kind of stuff. Yeah, at a certain and, uh, level. And I would add that it, especially today it's uh, it's rather, you know, uh, inconvenient to to compare Diego to anyone you know, on a footballing aspect just because uh, I mean, it, it would be unfair for, for Diego but unfair for, for everyone else as well because um, nothing can be compared to you at this at this specific moment. You know, I think we 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 have to be a bit further removed to 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 go back into that uh, into that uh, comparison. Which, well, in itself, in my personal opinion, I think it's uh, it's a little bit futile. Yeah, I think it's always a tremendous um, compliment to any player to even be in that conversation and you know just to be clear I probably would have him in my top five I'm just not sure about the exact placement um, because I don't really think of ranking one two three four five in 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 that way Um, Alan Jenkins has responded to the earlier question about retiring the number 10 by saying the number 10 shirt was a legend before a legend wore it by retiring it you're denying a future Diego the chance to claim it so that's broadly agreeing with what we said earlier Uh, perfect Tommy can you think of anyone else in sport or popular culture that's on the same level as Maradona? I mean, I think that, Dan, was it you earlier who mentioned Muhammad Ali would be yes. the, the only obvious you know, comparison on a, on a global level? I heard uh, Ayrton Senna as well, who I thought was an interesting call, more because you know, he was cut off so in his prime more than, more than anything, but in possibly. terms of impact and grieving, possibly... Um, uh, a choice. I mean, as somebody who doesn't so. particularly like motorsport, I, 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 but then I, I don't particularly like boxing either, and yet I definitely uh, go for Ali over Senna, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I would go for Michael Jordan, perhaps. Um, of course, um, he wasn't as politically active uh, as Diego or uh, Muhammad Ali. In fact, he was famous for for being um, rather removed from the from any kind of politics, uh, infamous, in fact, I, mm. I would go on to say. But in terms of uh, just sheer worldwide recognition and just putting his own sport on the map all over the world and becoming just this uh, immediately recognizable face, this uh, deity also in in America and um, pretty much in everyone, in anyone who just has a slight interest in basketball, I think, um, well, especially with the, with the documentary in mind as well, I think um, it would be a bit close, I think, to, to, to mention Jordan as well as, as Maradona and Muhammad Ali. With yeah, and as, as somebody who, as you say, similarly kind of transcends their sport, um, I, I kind of also wonder, as just as a thought experiment, uh, but the only other the figure who I can think of who might have had the same impact had he been playing with the benefit of 
of the globalised media that came a few decades after him. Uh, could be Babe Ruth, possibly. Um, but yeah, or, or maybe Fangio. I, I can't help but think that he might have had a bit more of a... He'd certainly be better known among non-motorsport fans if he'd been around just a couple of decades later. Tony? Yeah, and, and then we also go on to say Billy. Why not? Well, he's into, yeah, and I mean, there's part of me that, that wonders. I, I'm assuming that we can all uh, look past petty uh, intercontinental, intracontinental rivalries and, and admit that Pelé is, is right up there in the question of who's the greater as well. But it's interesting that we've gone through this last few minutes of the conversation without people mentioning him. He sort of doesn't impact on, on the culture in quite the same way. I don't know. He doesn't feel to me like quite as much of a figure of the people. Uh, and I think it's notable as well in, in, in that respect that of, of Brazil's World Cup winners in 58 and 62, sorry to go back to him, but it's Garincha who's known as the joy of the people, whereas Pelé was the king, which is somehow a little bit more distant and less friendly. Uh, I would still to add that, I don't know if I have, I can put someone on the same level, but I can remember another non-familiar <laughs> or direct relative that I do remember being as uh, impacted when when died and I will say more uh, for me was David Bowie I mean it even hurt me a little bit more than, than Maradona but I don't think it's a free comparison I should, it's the only comparison I can have because of the impact of their death uh, had on me if that makes sense Yeah, no yeah. one saw Bowie's death coming uh, either. I mean, his his sin, his illness was a secret to the public, um, which I think uh, it contributes to to the sheer impact of him of his passing. Indeed, uh, I'm just looking through. Those are all of the listeners' questions that we have had. This has been a pretty epic episode, uh, and we do still have a review of the week's football to come on Hand of Pod Extra. So I think now that we will bring to an end uh, this episode, if you were hoping for the review of the week's football and you're not a Hand of Pod uh, Patreon supporter, then on the one hand, I apologise, but on the other hand, I'm sure that you can understand extenuating circumstances. And it was inevitable that if uh, this happened while this podcast was still an ongoing concern, um, that we would uh, be covering it like this. Um, I'll leave you all with your own thoughts now. But for now, thank you very much indeed for listening for another week. And goodbye from Andres. Thank you. Goodbye. English Dan. Goodbye. Tony. Thank you. Goodbye. Santi. Bye. Thank you for giving me, giving me this chance. It was, uh, it was rather therapeutic, pretty therapeutic. Seba. Ole, 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 ole. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. And from me, thank you and goodbye.